Ah, sh I forgot to press record earlier, so now we don't have anything for the intro. Well, now you're trying to create an intro. Well, I got to do something. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast Network production. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero, alongside on this Thursday, Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Oh, I would say not a lot, but uh, on this particular day, there is quite a bit because I would argue the most important press conference of the entire year happened on the Wednesday that we were recording. It was the post-mortem press conference, some would say. We're going to get into everything that was said, everything that was not said. And uh, we'll break that all down. But before we get started, I just want to remind you, please, please, please rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. So many of you have left reviews. We are reading them. I can't read them all on every show because we have too many, which is incredible. But please, please, please thank you because you are helping keep us at the top of the charts. That is helping people discover us. And that is something that we desperately need. Also, just a quick reminder, stay subscribed to the Niners Nation Podcast Network just for now. Still crossing the T's and dotting the I's to get control of that feed. So for now, please stay subscribed. But we did get this review from Dud's Guy on Monday 11. Five stars must listen. I'm happy to write another five-star review for Robin Crew. Solid, diverse perspective, 49ers content with credible insights and analysis of games, players, and the organization. Rob Levin, Vish, Michelle. Every host and podcast provides a great listen to stay in tune with the 49ers. Faithful, you must listen to this podcast. Damn straight. Damn <laughs> skippy. However you want to put it. I'm just sad he mentioned you in the list of people. I was hoping that he would leave you off. Yes, I am totally unimportant. Well, I'm cutting that clip forever. Thank you for that. That's like an early Christmas present. I'm literally keeping a file of all funny things that we say this year. And at the end of the year, I'm going to make like a big, not a blooper reel, but like a, a big reel of you all got of that, it. You got that much storage on your computer, huh? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I might have to get an external, but we'll figure it out. All right. Let's dive into this press conference. Uh, like, I think you said it best. This kind of sets the tone for the coming off season what we should expect, but also, you know, we're one of the shows that kind of likes to, we file this stuff away and we remember it mm -hmm. and we compare it to things they say later on and things they do later on. So this was like the first kind of building block of that. Yeah. I view this press conference as kind of like the franchise prospectus. You get a clue into what they thought this past year, what went right, what went wrong in terms of how they might adjust to those things. And then you also get a feel as much as you can, because they don't like to be very forthright for how they feel about the people who are still on this roster and where they think they need to go in either free agency or the draft to address holes. So I, I think that is the th big takeaways from here. And this year in particular, there's a lot. It always seems like there's a lot with this organization. Um, well, when you don't have the quarterback position figured out, there's always that. Yeah. And that was a big part of what they talked about yesterday. Um, we'll start with the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff because it was a short answer, but it was a pretty definitive answer. I wish you guys could see Jimmy being back. And if so, what, what would that look like? No, I don't see any scenario of that. That is a huge difference from what they were saying about Jimmy Garoppolo last year at this time, Levin. Yeah. Uh, and if you were paying attention 
to the uh, exit interviews for the players, George Kittle did his in front of Jimmy Garoppolo's locker as kind of, I think, just kind of a message being sent there that he still supports Jimmy Garoppolo. But unattended, if you paid attention, the locker was cleaned out already. And this was like right after they got back. You know, they had, what, less than 24 hours after they'd gotten back from uh, Philly. So that that tells you a lot that he had cleaned out that locker. He wasn't sticking around. There's no reason to keep Jimmy Garoppolo around. You could say, well, he played better than ever this year, which I don't totally agree with, but he got hurt again. And we have the Niners just cannot put up with quarterback injuries any longer. So he's I mean, it's contract. different. It's different this time because last year he was under contract. Right. So he couldn't clean out his locker because it wasn't guaranteed he was leaving because the team controlled his rights and it ended up that he stuck around this year he's done and he gets to decide and it's pretty clear that he's not considering coming back i think there's just too many starting options out there for him to where right. somebody is gonna hell i could see him going to houston to help kind of kickstart the D'Amico Ryan's era there as they sort of draft somebody and look for their quarterback of the future. I think the Jets are a possibility. I think there's a variety of teams. The Raiders is a big one as well. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, he's just going to have too many options uh, to go back to San Francisco and have now two guys looking over his shoulder. So, yeah, I agree. Jimmy's gone. Thanks, Jimmy. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I will not be sad to see you go. I know people think that that makes me a mean jerk or whatever, but I'm sorry. I will not. I am glad that I will never have to see another game quarterback for my team by Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know how you feel. I appreciate what he did. He's certainly one of the better quarterbacks we've seen for this team in the last 20 years, but that's not saying much. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're one step above the Chicago Bears when it comes to the quarterback position since essentially Jeff Garcia left. Uh, And saying that, yeah, uh, it's been three years. Like literally, since we have been doing a podcast together, since we have known each other, what has been the topic of conversation that we have to talk about almost every single show, or at least a little bit? Jimmy Garoppolo and whether or not he should be on this team. That is pretty crazy. It probably has been. There may have been a show, maybe. But I don't know if I can confidently we start, say that. When we first started doing a show together, we were in a different uh, network for a different website, not Niners Nation. Uh, you were brought in as a guest originally, and I was like the new co-host. And that was in 2019 prior to COVID, to put it in that way. It was before Jeez. COVID. <laughs> BC. Man. That makes me feel like a long time ago. It makes me feel older than I am. Um, but you're right. And now we're done with that. Shanahan laid it out pretty. Right. There'll be one other time we probably mention him, and that's when he signs with somebody. It'll yes. be worth mentioning. That's about it. But here's the telling part of this. They asked about Jimmy Garoppolo, and Kyle Shanahan gave a very short, very concise answer. Right? Very right. specific. I don't see any scenario where Jimmy Garoppolo returns. That's going to be a theme as we go through this, because he did not do that with every other answer. And that's where I think things got interesting with the quarterback situation. He was also asked if the Niners would be in the market for a high-profile veteran quarterback 
And Shanahan said this, we're content enough, was his exact quote, without a high-profile veteran quarterback. Do you believe that, Levin? Yes. And I think the way he put it is the way he feels. It's not that we feel great about our quarterback (laughs) position. It's that we're content enough, meaning we have two young players that we think have very, well, I shouldn't say very, have chances of panning out. And we feel very good that one of them will. So we're content enough, but at the same time, neither one is in a situation currently that we're like, yeah, this is the guy. You know what I mean? So that's why he says it that way. Because Trey Lance, I think there's some question marks there. They need to see some development. And Brock Purdy, obviously, the injury and whether or not he's the same when he gets back causes a big question mark. So I think that's where he's at. Hey, we feel content enough with where we're at that we're not going to go with a big name and spend money. But then there was a follow-up question. When you say you're content for those two guys, does that mean you would not be looking at signing a starter-level veteran at all? or I, I know we have two starters on our team right now that I believe we can win with. Um, so when you have that situation, you're not that eager to go looking around. Two things. First of all, 99.9% of teams that say, well, we have two guys we think could be starters. 99% of them don't have a single starter on the team. I hate that line. It's dumb. And the second part of that is he didn't say no. He said, we're not that eager to go looking around. Those are two very different things, Levin. I don't read into that quite as much. I think that's as blunt as he's been with saying, we're not going to go sign a bit like a a guy that we think is going to be starting for us. You know what I mean? I, I think he views somebody like we've talked about, like we've mentioned, uh, Andy Dalton, guys like that, they're, he views them as starter level. And I think he's somebody that, kind of like me, is kind of literal, and he does not like to end up saying something that people can go back to and go, ha, see, that was a bold-faced lie. And I think he's just kind of wanting to play the middle ground there of where he believes somebody is a starter level, but he doesn't actually view them as a starter, and he's not going to pay a lot. I'd be very shocked if they spend more than seven, $8 million on a quarterback. Do you think he views Trey Lance as a starter level quarterback? Uh, I've, I think he views Trey Lance more in the second term. We have two quarterbacks we can win with. Yeah. I, I don't think he does to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't I, think he's happy with, I, I think he sees a lot of upside. It's a lot of like kind of what the players have said. There's a lot of upside there. But I don't think, and this might be where the experience comes in, that he quite knows how to do it. Because we've seen a little bit, if you read between the lines between some of the players and and some of Kyle's comments, Purdy knew the role that the quarterback is supposed to fill right away. And you kind of see that with Trey. You see Trey say that, you know, he's in a better place and he now knows more about what they want from him. That's what he said in his exit interview this year. I think that's a little telling that he was inexperienced and he, he wasn't quite sure what they wanted him to kind of grow into, whether he, they wanted him to be assertive and t- kind of take charge. It certainly seems like from what the comments of what Brock Purdy was like, Brock Purdy was like, hey, this is mine. Even when he was the scout team in training camp, he said, this is mine. And he's ordering guys around and taking charge. I think that's what they're looking for. And maybe Trey Lance was a little more timid. 
I think so. And I think that probably comes from his lack of experience. Like Brock's been doing this for a while. Like he knows what a quarterback is supposed to be. He knows a quarterback is supposed to lead a team. It's a little different, you know, when you're at North Dakota State, like he was a big fish in a small pond. Like Trey's athletic ability compared to the people that he was playing with, that was sort of enough to make him a leader. He was a leader by default because he was so much more physically talented than the people around him. In the NFL, that's not the case. It's also kind of the situation. With North Dakota State, he was following uh, basically two legends for them. Uh, two long-term starters that won national championships. So for him to go in and instantly be like, hey, jerks, listen here. He, he's talking to people that have won national championships. And they just had guys that went on to the NFL, which prior to them was unheard of for that program. So I don't think he could take that type of mentality. And maybe it took him a year to realize, oh, that's what you need to be on this team. Because at North Dakota State, he would not have been able to do that. I mean, just think about a situation where they're winning like crazy. They're one, they're the dominant team. They've been doing it for years and years and years. Multiple coaches, by the way. So it wasn't just, oh, this one coach is great. They changed coaches and didn't miss a beat. And the two people at your position were leaders and went on to some, to a level that nobody else had done in program history at that position. And you're going to step in and instantly be like, be ordering people around and yelling and screaming and being, you know, a, an assertive leader. I just don't see one. I don't think Trey Lance is all that He's not type a of person, but he also wasn't in a situation that he was capable of doing that. So coming to the 49ers, he's going to do what he knows. And I think that was the wrong thing for this team. We have seen this team. They are a veteran star level team. I think guys like Kittle, kind of set the tone and they're more of an aggressive type of personality and they need a quarterback jimmy garoppolo he's not a yeller and screamer but he was very confident inspired i'm walking in here this is mine kind of attitude you know what it's not a get out of my way it's a this is mine but they gave it to jimmy garoppolo right it was his because they cleared the deck for him. He had no real challenger there. It was like they made, remember, they, they was a huge deal. Jimmy GQ is the quarterback. They showed him like walking into the building with the suit. And I was in for all of it. I bought into all of it. I was all on board. Like right. I was like, yes, this is our guy. They never cleared the deck for Trey. Jimmy was always uh, they there. They planned to. They planned to, I think. And then what did they do? They brought right. Jimmy back because. I think they have serious doubts about Trey. I said that the second they brought Jimmy Garoppolo back. And now, based on that press conference yesterday, everything that they, that they said that I heard, I think they clearly think of Brock as QB1 and Trey's going to yeah. have to take the job from him. Do you agree? Yeah, because the way he said about Trey Lance, that he has an opportunity and he's the only one that's likely to be healthy for OTAs. Yes. You know, I don't remember the exact wording he used, but... He didn't say, oh, yeah, Trey's going to be the starter all offseason. He said Trey has an opportunity. All right. Well, that tells me he needs to prove something still then. If he has an opportunity to do something, that means he has something still to prove. And Lance said he'll be 100% in about three to four weeks. Shanahan was asked, is Brock QB1? Is there a quarterback competition? What's the thought process there? Shanahan said he hadn't even begun to thought about it, but uh, to think about it. But then he threw in this line, quote, that stuff will play itself out by training camp. 
Now, Brock's not going to be ready before training camp. So right. I almost wonder if Kyle looks at it like, hey, Trey, you could, you know, you could put yourself in the conversation, but you got to do something mm-hmm. before camp to win that. Otherwise, when Brock comes back, it's his. Yeah. And so there's two points here. One, it it's actually Trey Lance put it as I'm going to be 100% in three to four weeks. Kyle actually gave more details on that. He said that it was phase one is what he would be entering in four weeks and that it was his understanding that there would be three phases. And at the end of the last phase would be six weeks after phase one starts. That's when his rehab is done. He's full strength. He's rebuilt everything in that leg. He's ready to go. So it's that Trey Lance is a hundred percent, but he needs to rebuild his leg strength in four weeks. So that I thought was kind of telling that Trey Lance he has to get fully healthy still. So he's going to not have this kind of free agency period of doing workouts with teammates and stuff. You know no, what I, mean? I, I'm, I took that a different way. I think Kyle was talking about the phases of the off season program, not ramping Trey up. He was talking about the different phase. Phase one is like workouts or drills and phase two, like, you know, there's all like different levels to me. I thought Kyle was saying, Trey is going to, cause I think he was asked like, does Trey need to be eased in or does, is he going to be full go? And I think Kyle's answer was like, well, he's going to be eased in because the off season program itself eases everybody in. That's how I took it. Hmm. That's something that maybe we have to revisit because he said, it's my understanding he'll be full go. I think is the way he put it six weeks after phase one starts. Well, there's nothing off season wise. It's six weeks after phase one starts and we've never heard them talk about phase one phase two phase three of the off season before i've never heard kyle phrase the off season in that way oh i have uh let's see i'm looking at the transcript we should fight about it though no uh it sounds like he'll be (laughs) pretty i'm willing to fight mister doesn't even have football at his college yeah i I don't think i would win that one uh (laughs) yeah so trey said he's been okay it sounds like he'll be pretty close around phase one, phase two. OTAs is the third phase, which I think that is five weeks after phase one. So we'll see in phase one. They're saying right around that time. So hopefully he'll be able to ease him in with drill work and things like that. And then by OTAs, he'll be able to go. So. All right. You're you're right on that one. Yes. I, I will agree. <laughs> I, I, I can see. Let me put it this way. I think it's much more likely you're right. The way he said it can be, it's a little not quite clear, but uh, I definitely took the lesser path when I first read it. All right. Yes, that's two things I get to cut up for that file. This is going to be a fun little montage at the end of the year. That's fine. I I got my Twitter banner profile that's never going to go away, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, I do throw you the occasional compliment. Um, But again, I feel like this is unfair to Trey. They're throwing him into the pool with no swimming lessons and saying, don't drown. It's like, okay, you've got the beginning part of OTAs before training camp to win the starting job. And if you don't, even though you've barely played in two seasons and you haven't started and finished back-to-back weeks since 2019, you better win the starting job. That's your chance. And if you don't, forget it. Well, the thing I hate is some people aren't practice players. And if it's a practice thing, it is what it is. But some people get a lot better when they get game action. Like you can even, you can't even say it's inexperience because you got somebody like Jalen Hurts 
he had as much starting experience in college as you can get. Played in the national championship, you know, top level, two different programs because he transferred. And yet he still took two years starting the NFL to hit a new level. It took him time of starting to get there. So I, I don't think it's fair to kind of write the book on a guy when he hasn't even gotten the chance to prove it. Right. And, you know, I've heard, and again, it's so funny to go back now. I don't remember this in training camp, but people now are, are telling me, oh, Trey's training camp was awful. It was horrible. It was miserable. He was really, really bad at times. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's true, but I've seen this guy play in the games. You know, I wasn't there for training camp, so I don't know, but I saw the game. I've seen that. If that is true, then say that at training camp. I hate right. when people do that. If somebody's playing that poorly at training camp and you're not saying it, you're not doing your job. So to come out six months later or three, four months later saying, oh, well, he was terrible in training camp. We all knew this. It's just hogwash to put it in a way that you don't have to bleep. <laughs> well, so none of this stuff that I'm hearing about Trey's terrible performance is on the record, right? It's just things that people are telling me, which uh, is another there's, thing. There's been some actual beat reporters that have said, yeah, we saw this in training camp when talking about Trey Lance's deficiencies. It's like, but, oh, really? Where was that report? I agree with you, especially when it's the quarterback, especially when it's the quarterback that they gave up three first-round picks plus to acquire, right? Like, if he's bad, say he's bad. And so, but my point on that is, maybe he was, I wasn't there, but I saw the games, and I don't think that his games were nearly mm -hmm. as terrible as people make it out to be. The first game against the Cardinals, if you want to say he didn't look good, okay. They were undefeated at the time, and that was his first ever game in the NFL. Okay, he had a bad game. Like, that's that's our barometer. That's what we're going by. The Texans game, I thought he looked better than he did in the Arizona game. Week one in Chicago was a monsoon. And I thought, I mean, he only played two drives in Seattle, and he went right down the field on both times. So, like, again, I just don't understand the conclusions that people are drawing. And if it's based on this, like, practice rumors or whatever, I agree with you, Levin. Maybe he doesn't practice great, but neither did Jimmy Garoppolo. We had no problem throwing him out there for all those games. You know, I, I will say this. It's not a conclusion. It's just an observation and a thought I had today in reading Kyle Shanahan's uh, comments on Trey Lance. Kind of looking back on it and how the players have said things and then what Kyle said today, uh, an alarm bell went off on my head because it reminded me of what Sherman used to say about Dante Pettis and Kyle talking to him about what he looks like and the potential he has and that he can earn it and he could really be good. It's kind of like if you're reading between the lines, the players are saying, hey, this guy could be really good, but he's not there and he's maybe not, I don't want to say putting in the effort, but something's not clicking. Maybe he doesn't have the dog in him. And Kyle is also saying that in his way. Like the comments now in retrospect, what the players were saying with what Kyle was saying in in, in the exit post state of the franchise press conference. I don't know what you want to call that press conference. There's so many different terms, but that's what it reminded me of is it's Dante Pettis where, yeah, this guy has a high level possibility. He has raw skills, but he's just not disciplined enough. Well, we'll find out because it's, it's now or never for Trey, really. I mean, I think that's pretty much now injuries, of course, can always change that. But I, the, the impression that I got from Kyle was kind of like, yeah, we'll know by training camp who's the starting quarterback. And we're kind of done 
giving you chances, which I again I think is crazy, but that's the yeah. indication I got. Now, on the plus side, there was one thing that Kyle said in regards to the quarterbacks in the press conference that gave me a, a big smile, and that's what that he said Brock Purdy, from what they're hearing, all the opinions so far has been that he just needs the repair and not the reconstruction, and that it's the six-month timetable. And I did go and look it up a little bit more, that the six-month timetable is not six months and he's healthy and then can build up. It's that at three months, he's capable of throwing. Yes. And at six months, he's 100%, which means he would be ready for training camp. So if that's what he gets, that's really, really, really good news. And the fact that all of the opinions so far have been a consensus that that's what it should be is really good news. Yeah, no one knows until they open them up, though. They could say right. whatever they want. And he um, said that. Yeah, that's true. But I do think that Kyle was almost, like, giddy about it. Like, he's going to be ready to go in six months. Like, that, like it's that clear answer. It's Brock is number one. It's clear. Yeah. That, like, I mean, we were saying it. Everybody was saying it. Brock seems like a Kyle type of quarterback. Yeah, and I don't uh, – I'm still not in. I'm still not willing to say that Brock's going to be a good starter. I'm still not willing to say any of that. I still don't think we know. Um, and I'm going to rewatch all of it, obviously. You know, it's, I think it'll help to rewatch a little bit removed from the situation to kind of look back objectively. Um, but we'll see. Uh, it, I always say hope is not a strategy, right? And it seems like the 49ers are going into this offseason, at least, with hope as their biggest strategy. They hope Brock Purdy doesn't need the complete replacement surgery. They hope Trey Lance, number one, is going to be healthy, and number two is going to make a big leap. They hope they don't have to go sign a veteran quarterback. Like, that seems to be their plan. Mm, I, I guess you could say that, but I would say it's a lot less hope than last year. I mean, last year they were going in, we're going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, we're going to have Trey Lance and Scrubs after that. That was their <laughs> plan. So... Like I would say they're in a much better position now. I think they have a lot more confidence now that they have something good enough there between the two. We will find out. All right, let's move off of the quarterback stuff because there were other things that were discussed, believe it or not. I know it's hard to uh, to fathom that. The big question other than quarterback is, of course, defensive coordinator. Um, and Kyle, I mean, he couldn't offer a ton of answers because there are things still up in the air. There's coaches that D'Amico Ryan's uh, is going to be interviewing that are on the 49ers now. So we don't know who's leaving with D'Amico. But the impression that I got from Shanahan was when it comes to replacing D'Amico Ryan's, he wants to kind of keep things the same as much as possible. And that to me is actually saying a lot. Because if you're bringing in somebody like Vic Fangio, who runs a different defense, you know, I, obviously Vic is capable of adjusting. You know, it's not he has to be a three, four because he has changed and run more of a four, three in more recent years. But Vic Fangio will probably want to bring in his guys. He's a guy that's been around a long time. He's well-connected. He has all kinds of people that have worked under him. He wants guys that know his system and have worked under it before. So if he has to inherit a staff to work under him and teach them all to me, for him, that's kind of a deal breaker. So I wonder if that's maybe the holdup with the whole Vic Fangio thing is that the Niners want Vic Fangio, but Vic Fangio is saying, You're, I'm bringing in my own guys. And the Niners are saying, well, just give us a little bit of time to see who D'Amico takes. Because if D'Amico ends up taking, you know, the couple of guys that we really want to hang on to, then sure, we'll, you know, we'll clean the slate for you. That's possible. 
The other th- thought that crossed in my mind was they want to bring in Fangio. You know, he's an older coach, and I almost wonder if they're like, we want to bring you in, but what we really want is for you to teach the next generation. Yeah. Like, find our next defensive coordinator for after you. Kyle is is very good at replenishing the staff, and I actually broke it down uh, earlier on Wednesday with a tweet which I'm now struggling to find because, you know, I want to talk about it. And so now I can't find it. Okay, here very, it is. Very professional. Yes. Great job. Uh, I would totally You're cover it up my stall. Thank you. <laughs> In 2021, the Niners had 13 coaches with new or different titles. In 2022, they had 14, including the entire offensive staff. Like, that is a huge, huge deal. I think it's mm-hmm. part of the reason the team has started slow each of the last two years is because the whole friggin' coaching staff has to learn as much as the players do. And that's a credit to Kyle that he was able to ramp it up and get it going, but he may have to do it again this year, not only on the defensive side, but if some of the offensive guys go, I know Bobby Slowick has gotten um, an interview or two. So he may have to do it for a third straight year. That's really, really hard to do. I mean, it's the third straight year an assistant's been hired as a head coach. Right. You know, success breeds these kind of problems. It's a both good and bad thing to happen because if your assistants are being hired away, it means you're probably a very successful team. But at the same time, your assistants are being hired away, and that sucks. I did like the the, uh, little bit of combativeness there, and I think John Lynch stepped in to try to, like, prevent Kyle Shanahan from saying too much uh, that would get him not necessarily in trouble with the league, but get noticed by the media and picked up on and run with. But he, they were talking about whether or not they allow people to interview and whether or not he wants oh, to, yeah, yeah. will allow anybody to go lateral. And he was basically saying, heck no. And then they, they stopped and they said, well, it's more of a notification you get. It's not a request because basically if it's a promotion, you don't get the choice of saying yes or no. And yes, we got two of those yesterday. <laughs> yeah, Kyle clearly does not like when his staff gets raided. He will and flat I think, out say no. He yes. will flat out not allow lateral. He won't even allow the conversation to happen. That's the crazy part to me is like, Kyle, I mean, Kyle's been a young coach. He knows it's not easy to get jobs. And like, you would think that there would be kind of like a, I don't know, like a, a gentleman's agreement, sort of an unwritten rule type of thing. But. He doesn't like it. And yeah, Kyle was basically like, it's not a permission thing. It's a, if it's a promotion, especially if play calling is involved, you can't block that person from going. It's a league rule. Uh, but you could tell Kyle clearly doesn't like it. Yeah. I just, I just find that funny. And the, uh, the fact that there were two requests means, yeah, the Niners are likely, I think, to lose at least one of those. Which means some quality control coach somewhere is going to get a nice promotion coming up. And you're going to get to work with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. Um, I mean, it's an underrated skill that coaches have to do. I think Kyle's pretty good at it, and he's probably had little practice now. But it's hard to keep, you know, hitting that bingo over and over again and finding a good coach, especially in key positions. Robert Sala was a good hire. D'Amico Ryans was a great promotion by Kyle Shanahan. If you can get Vic Fangio, fantastic, because he's already he's a proven commodity. But if you're going with somebody that's unproven, you know, it's hard to keep, keep making that call right. Eventually, statistically, you're going to make a wrong decision. Uh, well, I think Kyle kind of thinks outside the box. I mean, a lot, a lot of his are very young people. And I think 
I think he said it before. Uh, I could be wrong. I could have gotten this from somewhere else, but I'm pretty sure he said basically looks for, I'm paraphrasing here, somebody that's really smart and obsessed with football. Because if they're obsessed and they're smart, they're capable of being taught anything. That's a good And that means if you, yeah, if you invest in them, they will end up being a top level assistant at some point. And that's what he did with a lot of the people, the LaFleur's, uh, McVeigh, D'Amico to a certain regard. Certainly, uh, I mean, Salah wasn't really somebody that he brought up. He got Salah at the point that he became a defensive coordinator. But, you know, that that that's all their MOs is that they're really smart just in general people, and then they're obsessed. So they're capable of learning anything, and they're so obsessed they're going to learn it. I think like him, really. Right. Like I, I, I think he's obsessed with football. You know, he talks about going to Cabo for that week or whatever it is. And he he pretty much has said, like, he gets away and then but that's it. Like 25 other weeks in the year. He's all about it. Yeah. See, he says he gets away. But did you notice what John Lynch said in the press conference? He's like, yeah, we still talk. He's still yeah, we're... he's still plugged in. I think he's <laughs> well, he didn't he have his it. phone with the friggin Matt Stafford situation. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, but I did you see the other part of that? Uh, that was like a big long rant from uh, John Lynch. Uh, but there there was one interesting thing I found in there. He, he was it. talking about quarterbacks, but basically the whole team as well because he was saying Kyle has his same personnel. But he said that we like to get him as many options as possible, meaning. He basically was saying, we send Kyle Shanahan a list of people and tell him, go through and pick the one you want, is the way I took it, at least, is that they send Kyle Shanahan options, and then Kyle Shanahan goes through them and kind of shifts through them and goes, yeah, I like this one the most, and then this one. Not that the team will necessarily, I mean, contracts matter and things like that, but it certainly seems like, okay, the front office works as the scouting, and they get their opinions, but then it filters through Kyle, and Kyle has the ultimate say yeah literally lynch's quote is kyle's really involved in every personnel decision we make mm -hmm. and what i try to do with my team is provide him with options get him as much information as possible he goes through his process where he likes getting away with family but his mind is always going and he needs a break i think that's a little snippet there behind uh scene behind the curtain that i don't think too many people kind of picked up on it. i haven't seen anybody run with that one that Oh, that kind of confirms what people have thought. The Kyle kind of has final say, and the John Lynch kind of works more as like a filter from the scouting department. What the hell's a snippet? You've never heard that? A snippet? That's a made-up thing. It's snippet, okay? Yes. Thank you. Welcome to planet Earth. All right. Speaking of pettiness. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna start calling you Kyle. <laughs> That's a that's an insult and a and a compliment. So I guess I'll take it. One last thing um, that is interesting, and I thought it it's interesting because it reveals and kind of contradicts something that Kyle said earlier. They were talking about Drake Jackson and how Drake Jackson was inactive down the stretch of this season. And Kyle's answer when he was first asked about it was, "Well, we want more guys up the middle than on the edge." That's what he said, right? We need we were more concerned with defensive tackles. We've got enough guys around the edge. Well, when Drake Jackson came up yesterday, Kyle talked about he's not where he needs to be. He said 
we we like where he can be, but he needs to get closer to what he can be. And he said he lost power throughout mm-hmm. the season. That is that's very different from what he said earlier in the year. If you apply the the negatives that were said about Drake Jackson coming out in the draft and the things that people kind of picked up on in terms of his physique in training camp, you can know exactly what he's saying. Drake Jackson needs to get his butt in shape. That, that's all there is to it. Drake Jackson is an edge rusher who has uh, extra fat on his stomach. Uh, he's still highly athletic, but if he were to, say, dedicate to a Nick Bosa level, he well. would be at a different level. And that was one of the things that was on his scouting report coming out was that he has tremendous upside, but he's not very disciplined and he has to work on consistency. Well, don't forget, this was somebody that they kind of messed around with in terms of position in college and and what weight he needed to be at what position. So he's had a lot of body changes, let's say. Um, But I thought that was interesting. Like, why didn't Kyle just say that earlier in the year? That's what bugs me. Right. I mean, it's going to go one of two ways for Drake Jackson because it's up to him. He's a guy that he's an athletic freak for his size. I mean, he he does those backflips and stuff like that without problem. (laughs) So he's he. I'm just theorizing here based on that that he might be somebody that's relied on his athleticism a little too much and hasn't locked in so much on the technique and being in tip-top shape. And now he's at a level where. Your athleticism is an advantage, but it's not uh, something that's going to outweigh all the other stuff. So hopefully he spends the offseason with Nick Bosa. Well, that would, I mean, if you were a defensive lineman on this team, how do you not do that? Unless, I guess you just fear for your own life that you might not survive the offseason. I mean, you you might end up in a TikTok that you don't want to be in. But (laughs) But here's the thing, you know, Steve Young talked about this when he was getting frustrated with sitting behind Joe Montana. and. I forget who he talked to. I think it might have been Tony Robbins, actually. But it was somebody that he talked to on a plane. And basically, the perspective that that person had was, you have Bill Walsh there and you have Joe Montana there. You are in a position to be great. Like, you are set up for greatness because you can learn from both of those guys. Well, guess what, Drake Jackson? You're in the same spot. Because not only do you have Nick Bosa there, but you also have Chris Kacarek. Everything Chris Kacarek touches turns to gold. So... You should be in a position to learn from the masters, okay? And you should come in year two and just ready to rip the hell out of everybody. Let's hope because, I mean, the team doesn't have the money to go out and get another premier pass rusher. I would like to see them go after somebody that's just going to be like a a sack specialist almost, kind of like the D Ford role after he had his injuries, and go after Justin Houston. Justin Houston had a tremendous season with Baltimore. He still can be a really good pass rusher. He's just horrendous against the run, and he's undersized, <laughs> so he can only pass rush. But go get him so that if Drake Jackson doesn't end up being able to be a third-down guy because he doesn't have the fitness to be you know, a three-down lineman, you, you throw in Justin Houston, you have a speed-freak pass rusher opposite of Nick Boza in obvious passing situations. And he wouldn't be that expensive, by the way. I saw your tweet on that the other day. They got to get something more than they've gotten, right? They've tried, they've been trying to find somebody opposite Nick Bosa since they drafted Nick Bosa, and they really haven't been able to to hit a home run in that spot. Now, maybe Drake can be that guy next season. It's entirely possible that he can be, 
but they they got to get more than four and a half sacks from the second leading pass rusher on the team. I, I just want to see to. like I, I want to see a speed freak. Like you have technique and power over on the other side with Nick Bosa, and getting that speed helmet. We saw it in the flashes that D Ford was healthy. It was a game changer because now you can pick pick your matchup, move Bosa around, and whoever the speed guy is, move them, flip flop them. If you got alignment on on this team that is not good against pat, uh, speed rushers, then you're going to put the speed guy over on that side, and Bozo can come over to the other side. We've seen them move Bozo around. You should be able to do it. And like we heard uh, Joe Staley last month when we were talking to him, uh, that the uh, the offensive linemen, the tackles, they have different preferences. Joe Staley preferred going against speed guys because he was a former tight end. He could handle them. He didn't have any problem getting back fast enough and keep them from getting the edge. What he struggled with was the technique guys who could go inside on him. So I would like to see somebody that's different than Nick Bosa. And I feel like they tried that with D Ford and everybody else that they've gone for since then has been somebody that they're more looking for somebody that's like a complete guy, somebody that can do it all. Rather than just getting the specialist who's just going to be able to do a speed rush on obvious passing downs. Well, I think they also like being number one against the run. Well, yes. That's pretty clear at this point. Hey, what are you drafting this year? Oh, a defensive lineman. <laughs> right. Well, I wouldn't be <laughs> surprised to see at least one this year in the draft. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a defensive lineman. I think they're definitely going to go offensive line at some point. I'd be interested to see if Jason Poe. Uh, has a role on the offensive line mm-hmm. next year after I think he won practice squad player of the year. Uh, he had one of those. They were giving out these kind of weird 49er helmets for the practice squad players as mm. part of like the team honors. I think he had one. Uh, he was a guy that I was kind of enamored with when they signed him as an undrafted free agent. So I wonder if he's got a spot, but I think they go D line. I think they go O line. I don't know what they're going to do at wide receiver because Jawan's a free agent. So do they try and bring him back or do they just say, forget it. We found Juwan in like the seventh round. We'll find somebody else. Time will tell. Uh, I, I think the other positions that they might go for, if E-Man is lured away, uh, I think they probably go for a corner. They might go for a corner anyways, just more later. Yeah. Um, because even if they sign E-Man, it's kind of three people because you're not relying on Ambry Thomas. It doesn't seem like at this point. And I, I see them probably going either re-signing to Sean Gibson or finding some other aging vet that's more of a stopgap and trying to draft somebody that they think can develop into a second safety. I think I think those are the other positions that you might see sneak in there to, to one of those third-round picks, safety and corner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go with their first and second pick, like their top two picks, because ideally you would think that they would address their biggest needs with those. Now, it's not always the case depending on how the board falls, uh, but we we'll I mean, see. We'll have... free agency will matter a lot because if they're able to plug right. a couple holes through free agency, then I could see them maybe, hey, if we got this one position that we really kind of need to get somebody that might be able to contribute this year and they yeah. trade those third round picks to get into the second. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Please, they have please so do many, something. They have so many picks. I just I, I don't see a, another year like last year where they made no moves whatsoever. Yeah, I think they might move up, too. I hope that they do. We will see. Uh, we'll have a whole shows dedicated to who stays and who goes and free agent targets and all of that stuff. We are not going anywhere in the offseason, and there is certainly plenty of time to break all of that stuff down. Please subscribe, like the YouTube page, and subscribe to the Gold Standard Podcast Network. 
please, 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 if you would like to support us, support our sponsors. That's Homage. Shout out to Homage, by the way. They have awesome 49ers gear and non-49ers gear, too. Pop culture stuff, video game stuff. I got my No Crying in Baseball t-shirt the other day from Homage, which I'm very excited about because that's one of my favorite uh, non-football movies. That is uh, a, a good movie. That was a movie that uh, I think my mom signed up for like a movie of the month club that was supposed to be for like women uh, at, back in the 90s and A League of Their Own was <laughs> a great sent as, movie. I, yeah, that was the first movie sent. And I was like, cool, because we didn't have cable at the time. So we had like three VHSs prior to that. And I was like, oh, cool, sports movie. VHS. <laughs> that, that, for... Yeah, that has a special place for me because that was one of like a handful of movies I had prior to cable. Super sad ending. Like the ending legitimately makes me sad. Um, but anyway. Great original theme song. Yes. Check out Homage. They have awesome stuff. And if you use the link in our description, uh, we get a cut, to be honest with you. So please use the link because we could appreciate that. But anyway, rate, review, follow. We really appreciate it, everybody. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Make it all sleep.